Hello, hello! Welcome to What Have We Done? The Winecast for the Amateur Enthusiast. And we're here today to talk about the rosé. An often controversial wine, <laughs> the rosé actually has a lot of really interesting history to it, as well as an interesting process of production. So we're going to talk about that briefly today, as well as taste two wines one from France and one from California to talk about what we taste. Great. Well, I'm excited. Um, so tell me a little bit about sort of, um, I don't know, what, what's your thought on rosé sort of before getting into too much of the, you know, the factual information. Are you a rosé drinker in general? I am. Uh, so I feel like I got into wine late in the game and I believe I spoke a little bit about this. It wasn't really until my early 20s that I understood what wine was and how to appreciate it and I worked at a restaurant where we served a lot of wine and I started working there in the summer and what better wine to drink in the summer than rosé and this would have been the summer of 2012 when rosé was just getting popular and I think it might have just been through exposure uh, that I learned to like the drier rosés that had, to me, like a touch of sunshine. It would be a light wine, you can drink it chilled, but it still had the depth of flavor that I appreciated in a lot of red wines without necessarily any of the heaviness that would get you groggy and slow um, on a hot, like 100 degree DC weather day. Um, so yeah, I do. And, and now as I've tasted more rosés, I'm appreciating the complexity of them. Um, as well as how they could have been um, misunderstood mm -hmm. um, as only profiled as a, a white zin, for example. There's so much more to rosé than that. Mm -hmm. How about you? Honestly, it's not been until very recently that I've started enjoying and appreciating rosés. Um, I think just because my impression of them was always kind of that, that white zin. Um, thing. A lot of the ones I was ever tried were, you know, pretty inexpensive grocery store, very, very sweet. Um, I think the stereotypes around rosé wines, the way they're marketed, all those reasons, I just never really, I kind of avoided them. I even like going wine tasting when I first got more into wines and started going tasting more and more, I'd still tend to skip over the rosé. It's just assuming there was nothing there that I'd, that I'd ever really appreciate. And it's not really been until the past year even that hmm. I've really started to find that the rosés can be really, really cool. And I think, you know, I've had some that I, that are quite sweet, that I have really liked um, a lot that aren't sweet at all. Um, having ones that are, um, you know, a little bit darker, have been in skins longer, to have more texture. There's just a huge variety of what you can find in rosés. And so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more today and, uh, yeah, and hopefully have some, some nice ones. Yeah. Do we want to taste or history first? Let's taste. Let's just start off. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so we opened up a 2019 Provence, France rosé, um, which is lured to be, and at least our research, at least our research has demonstrated that this is one of the primary rosé wine regions. Um, 
and why I can't pour straight. Sorry. Well, whatever. Um, One of us is getting a very large pour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the color is a light, pale pink. Almost salmon. Mm-hmm. Or like the first touch of, uh, what is it, like the rosy color clouds you get on a really hot summer day when the sun's going down and you mm -hmm. know it's going to be a hot day the next day. Really pale pink. As we sniff into our glasses, you smell... It has a very white wine smell for me, almost mm -hmm. like a Sauvignon Blanc. It's it's a little bit citrusy, yeah, um, which is really really cool. It smells really bright and fresh, um, like uh, a, almost like a lemonade. Agreed. Yeah, definitely the the lemon citrus. Uh, I believe I purchased this wine. I got this from Total Wines. Both the wines we'll be drinking are from Total Wines, uh, and this one was sixteen dollars, so very approachable. Uh, and we'll see how it tastes for that amount. A lot juicier than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, while it smelled a lot and had sort of a, a very Sauvignon Blanc aroma, it's much more, um, much more fruity. Uh, not mm -hmm. necessarily in a sweet way, interestingly enough, but mm -hmm. in a very um, sort of full way. Very, a lot of strawberry notes here. Really fresh strawberries. And a little bit of cream. I want to say that it has a bit of either butter or cream to it. It's pretty rounded for the fruit. Like it's strawberry, but then you have, I wonder what the varietals are. I wonder if it'll tell us. Maybe I'm just reading every wine I drink nowadays as a Marsan, but <laughs> it has a little bit of the, the, like the thick texture at the end of the sip of a Little cream, little little butter. I like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's an interest. It's not what it smells like at all. It does have a little bit of a, a sort of metallic tinny um, finish to it. It reminds me mm -hmm. of when um, you have a, a steel mm. a steel cask shard, especially the French style of, of steel shards, and you have that just weird little little tiny thing on the back, and it's a kind of a combination of like tannins and the sort of weird just yeah, tinny thing going on, mm -hmm. um, which I don't, I don't dislike, um, but it's, it's notable. Yeah, it's still, you still get the crispness of the feel of it, um, and it's pretty clean. It's a pretty quick, doesn't linger too long. Mm -mm. I shouldn't have taken it out of the fridge, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think it's a good temperature to have it. Okay. So, rosé has quite a tumultuous past and I admit I haven't done quite as much research as I wanted to do but I'll talk more about the recent past of rosé um, and where the rosé all day craze came along um, but originally rosé so rosé let me let me backtrack the process of making rosé comes in a couple of different forms um, you can either let red grape skins um, sit in the wine 
for a couple of hours to a couple of days to give it the color that you typically associate with the rosé and that's called a maceration process. Or you can have something called a blending, which is when you take a red wine and you sieve off a little bit of it and you mix it with the white wine and that also gives you the rosé. And there's one other process um, which I think it's called a, a bled. I'm, I'm not sure. You may have to edit this out. Um, but uh, essentially it is about you take out a little bit of the... I'm not sure. I'm going to just take that <laughs> out and just stop. Uh, there may be other processes in which rosés are made, but typically these are some of the more popular ones, particularly letting red wine skins rest in the wine. Um, and because it's so easy to make, back when rosé was originally being launched is probably the wrong word, but uh, created in Europe, particularly in the south of France, uh, it was seen as a cheap process. You throw some skins and some wine, you make this pretty color and you sell it. It's very cheap um, and often um, came at very little expense to the winemaker. And there was a particular enterprising American business who saw the ability to make this wine very cheaply in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, and decided to bring that process over to the US through, I think, two French companies with the help of two French companies and launched what is known as the White Zin in California. And the White Zin would be a sweet rosé. If you've ever had one before, you'll know what I'm talking about. Kind of puts your teeth on edge because it's very candy and very, very sweet. Um, and it was marketed almost like the Coca-Cola of wine, mm -hmm. something that Americans could enjoy on a hot day and guzzle up because of the sugar content. You know, you never really can get satisfied. So is that because there wasn't a lot of wine that was popular in America at the time or just because Americans already developed a taste for Capri Suns and things like that? To be honest, I think it was a little bit of both. My impression from articles read online was that Americans weren't very distinguishing winemaker, uh, wine drinkers. Uh, if they were, they, happened, they were more often on the higher end of wine. Uh, there may have been a, a burgeoning wine culture emerging, but it definitely wasn't trickling down quite as much. Um, and also because in the 1970s, mass production of food, there was a craze for the easy box recipe as well as you know, Coca-Cola fast products. Uh, and this rosé kind of just hit that hmm. spot really well. Um, and it just blossomed. Uh, and it, it, and I think it also, because it was such a, a cheap product to make, it was affordable in a lot of different ways. So you could drink rosé and have that touch of class while not spending a lot of money on a you know, 50, 60, 100, $200 bottle of wine. One more quick question. I've never actually looked up because I've never been in a situation where I've wanted to know the answer, but is white Zin actually a grape or is that just um, the process of making a rosé out of a Zinfandel? I am 90% positive and I will double check this and post it on Instagram. 
to be sure that it is the process. So that would be an example of probably the blending mm -hmm. where you siphoned off a little bit of Zin and you mixed it with the white wine. Um, so yes, it is not an original grape. <laughs> there are just Zinfandels. And, and the reason why I think California got hit with that was that it was um, Old Vine Zin was particularly an important part of Californian winemaking at that time. And since there were a lot of old vines, and I think I want to say that the place where a lot of this production was in the Lodi area, which would make sense, but I will also double check that um, because Lodi is known for its old vines and um, so they had it readily available, and so it was just a matter of, well, we can throw a couple skins into this vat, or we can, you know, pour a couple barrels, put aside a couple barrels to mix with white wine. Yes. So it was, it was easy. Um, but as time went on, uh, there were different people who kind of took up the rosé flag, as it were. So it didn't have complete popularity from the 1970s through the early 20-teens um, when I got introduced to rosé. Uh, there was a bit of a, a lowering of interest in rosés. It was particularly poo-pooed by you know, celebrity chefs uh, who didn't really consider it real wine. Um, and there were also people around the world, particularly in Europe, who were not drinking the sweet Coca-Cola wine in the U.S. and we're trying to demonstrate that rosé could be something otherwise. Um, and there were particular celebrities who were traveling across the world who were introduced to these European ways of making rosés as well as these rosés and uh, decided to bring that back to the United States. So in, I think the early 2000s, uh, there was a, another surge of interest in rosé. may have been towards the latter part of the early, so 2005, 2007, um, that reintroduced rosé but on a more uh, refined level uh, to the American market. And with the popularity among celebrities, like movie stars, like Brad Pitt and Angelina launched their own wine, which is called Mirabelle. I've actually had it by accident. I didn't know really? that it was theirs. Yeah, it's one of the, it's rated really highly on, on uh, Total Wines. They have a, apparently a vineyard or some sort of connection in France and we're shipping in their own like celebrity rosé. Um, but that got really popular and it was good. So people were starting to rethink you know, rosé isn't necessarily only the sweet stuff. Uh, and then it was taken up again by, and I'm blanking on his name, but this very popular man in the Hamptons who made rich, uh, it was a white girl rosé, which was like a party rosé jug, sort of like the margarita mix of the Hamptons that was easy to party with, with something that everyone could enjoy from, you know, all the way in the Hamptons to the Jersey Shore <laughs> and that gained its own kind of cult following hmm. and from the mid early 2000s to about the 2014 was when the rosé craze of let's drink rosé all day kind of emerged.
again, uh, this is a very brief and incomplete <laughs> history, but from the articles I read online, and there aren't that many, this was the general trend, uh, and I read a lot of my work from... Um, Actually, there was a really great Vanity Fair article about Rosé, as well as uh, a couple of sommeliers who've written about the history of Rosé. And I read about the process of making Rosé wines from Wine Folly. And I'll post all those links. Nice. I think we should do an episode sometime about celebrities' own uh, like wine labels and things. I feel like every celebrity, it's like the peak. You hit a certain amount of money and you need to come out with your own wine. And I've tried very few, but I've heard of a lot of them. And I just, it's really interesting. Yeah, it also, I mean, this is a topic for another day, right? But did they just wake up one day and they're like, let's just make a wine. That would be really cool. Or you can't just plant some grapes and start making, you'd have to have connections with some sort of vineyard. It must be a partnership with established winemakers in order to like just put your brand, I suppose. It's a lot about branded marketing. Yeah. I was watching a thing, I think it was on YouTube, about like Post Malone's like winemaking. He hmm. just purchased like a shit ton of like acreage of, of vineyards in like southern France and was coming out with his own like wine. He was like talking about much how much he like really liked the wine, in, like pretty eloquent terms. And then basically admitted that he had nothing to do with anything that was done under his name. He basically just hired this like famous, um, you know, ghost winemaker kind of a situation. Hmm. Um, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating. Post Malone wine. Maybe another episode we could talk about like map out California wine regions and talk about the different people who make up the map of California winemaking. Mm either across like say Napa so we can start small but it would be really interesting to see who is this network yeah. of winemakers in our own backyard hmm. that'd be cool yeah we'll do more research then too <laughs> uh, so yeah rosé is just a very interesting and, and I think the reluctance or the, the ways in which rosé was introduced to the American public definitely had a bit of a ripple effect on how people perceived rosé, uh, especially in the early 2000s when, or in the early 2000 teens, I should say, when brunch was getting popular and rosé was getting associated with brunch and the kind of going out culture and drinking during the day, which seemed to explode in 2012, 2013 and with whatever associations were with that. And I definitely was involved in that. But uh, And speaking from a place of no judgment, because we, I, I like my rosé and I also like my brunch. But uh, it, there definitely were a lot of class issues associated with who was drinking rosé, who was like kind of in those circles uh, and partying at that time. So if anything, the history of rosé is is very much a income economy class discussion across multiple different countries and over time over the past like 50 60 years so do you remember any particular rosés by name that you like or a time when you tasted one and you changed your mind i know you spoke about having tasted a couple different ones yeah i can't think of too many that have stood out to me that I remember by name. I know I've had more and more that I've liked, 
but the first one I can think of is the first rosé that I realized not just that rosés could be really good, but also really different than what my very limited perspective on what rosés could be um, was, and that was from uh, Santa Cruz Mountains Winery, I'm sure we'll mention on this podcast multiple times if we haven't already, and that's Byington Vineyards. Mm. And the reason that's mentioned, full disclosure, my parents have been members there for a long time, so some of the first wineries that I went to were up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and, and Byington makes a believe it is actually a zen and it's a it's called it's a cyanese style hmm. cyanese style being the um, rosés that are in skins for slightly longer um, than other um, rosés i believe that's a more common style done in france but it's, there's a, a number of california wineries making some really cool cyanese style wines and it's cool because it has just like that little bit of like tannin and bite to it a little bit more body and yeah and that was i think the first rosé that i really really enjoyed and I actually remember um, my brother and I just opening a bottle of that. I don't think we tried it before. I think we just had it for whatever reason. Hmm. And it was, you know, 110 degrees or whatever, one of those sweltering hot days. And that happened to be in the fridge, so we just pulled it out just to try it. And just didn't put it back in. We just sat there and just downed that bottle. <laughs> and it was so refreshing and so, so nice. Um, yeah, that's still probably the f- my favorite rosé that I've had, but definitely having more and more these days that are really, really cool. I think the first rosé that I remember liking was an Alexander Valley rosé. So that is Napa, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember anything beyond that it was an Alexander Valley, but it reminded me of, like, nectar in a really lovely way, like crisp nectar. And it, maybe it, it, the way in which it was made, it just, it sat well on the tongue and it was really refreshing. And I loved, I worked on a rooftop and sitting on the rooftop drinking that rosé was just very nice on my days off. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then I've had some really fun, like Kibelstad has that Casey Labs ex- experimental rosé, which is really fun. We had that a couple of weeks ago or a few months ago, something like that. What's the grape on that? Do you remember? I believe it's Syrah, but I could be wrong. Um, and I also ordered from Wink, the wine service I subscribe to, a Syrah Rosé as well called Ravel, which was excellent and unfortunately didn't taste any of it because I took it all with me to Oakland and a visit with my sister, but it is also representative of those dry rosés that have a bit of a tannic undertone to them, a little bit darker, rose, dusty, afternoon flavor to it and really quite lovely well done wink again it's also been fun trying rosés just made with different grapes just like a red or a white with different grapes tastes very very different it's also true in rosés i think just that alone um it's sort of an entry point to exploring different types of types of rosés mm-hmm. um you know zens grenache syrahs carignans 
um, all kinds of cool, cool grapes you can. Pinot Noir. Pinot, well. yeah, yeah, very popular. Mm-hmm. So let's taste the other one. Sure. The next rosé we have to taste is called Berry Cream, a rosé from California, 2019. And this wine is harvested from our coastal vineyards. I'm going to read the back description because I can. Rosé offers soft strawberry and citrus aromas along with floral and spice notes. The palate displays balanced acidity with flavors of succulent strawberry, lime zest, dark cherry finishing, smooth and crisp. Ideal with salmon sushi, oh yeah, pulled pork or BLTA sandwiches. I feel like the A is implicit. You always want avocado. This wine pays homage to all the berrylicious goodies our grandmother made. Very well. I am looking forward to this. I was in my search for a rosé on Total Wines. I think this one was $12, maybe $13. I was tempted to get a white zin just to see if they changed, but I knew that Kevin would be very displeased. <laughs> <laughs> she like a really, really high-end white Zen. Yeah, and I also didn't want to spend a bajillion dollars on a white Zen for it hopefully to be good, which I've heard that there are some good ones. Um, I've seen some on Instagram that look really lovely. And where's this from again in California? It's called King City, California. Oh, King City. Oh, you know where that is? I do know where that is. Okay, great. I yeah. mentioned it to people and they didn't know where it was. It's not, it's a, it's a small little town and I only know it because um, when I was a kid we used to go to this beach uh, near San Luis Obispo called Morro Bay and King City was the midpoint between San Jose and Morro Bay. So whenever, uh, if my mom was staying down there and my dad was up in San Jose and we'd meet halfway, we always met at the gas station in King City. So that's the only reason I know where King City is. Didn't have any idea there was like wine there, but I guess it makes sense being, you know, Central Coast area. So this one is a lot more pink. Yes. I would say a, I don't know, obviously not magenta, but if magenta was wine colored, I would say this is pretty gosh darn close to a magenta or a, a deep rose color. Still light, but definitely darker. Mm-hmm. We also don't know the the grape on this either. No, and I wonder if I have that in my order notes. I can see if I can dig or if that we up. We can look it up. That too, because we have the vino, and they <laughs> can tell us things. <laughs> the inevitable plug for the vino. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I actually logged things from this weekend. I'm very proud. I've been falling off the bandwagon on that one. They should pay us. Wink, wink. But you know, <laughs> if, if you hear us, please send money. Okay, thanks. We love you and your app. Yes. Ooh, yeah, we have ideas for the app and how to make it even more of a network. <laughs> if it, you just call us. Yes. Or like DM us on Instagram. Do they have an Insta? Can we follow them on Instagram? I wonder if they probably oh, do. Okay, Instagram. that's done. Okay, this smells like okay. 
You know that that LaCroix we got recently, the hibiscus one? Oh yeah. It smells like hibiscus. It's a little bit it's flowery and uh, Yeah. And like an herbal sweet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh boy. This is very different from the first rosé we had. Completely different from the from the first one we had. This is more the, I guess, the stereotypical California rosé style. Um, sweet fruit, real sweet fruit. Mm-hmm. I can get the sweet dark cherry in that as well as a raspberry. It almost tastes like candied cherries. Mm. Or like sorbet. Or um, <laughs> Kevin's making faces with his face. <laughs> I'm puckering almost like uh, I'm drinking something really sour. Yeah, you can definitely taste the acidity. Yeah. I'm glad this was in the fridge longer. Mm-hmm. Though I wonder if it would open up a little bit warmer, but... You know what this tastes like? Mm -hmm. It's the cherry... So, have you ever had, um, those firecracker ice pops? Or, like, cherry-shaped, like, Italian cherry ices yes that's what it tastes like yeah. the like the italian syrups you know yeah mm. yeah so it's it is very different i think that if anything it is not quite as balanced and as the Rosé we tried earlier from Provence, and it doesn't have quite the depth of flavor. You really just hit with that cherry ices, and then it's really hard to get much else besides that. Mm -hmm. It's really nice and refreshing. I think it's it's you know it's not bad. It's just it's it's pretty sweet, and I, I do think the name is kind of spot on. Berry cream. That is a uh, that is apt. <laughs> Yes, I think this would be good on a beach mm -hmm. when you're sitting outside and the hot air is blowing and you want something that's going to immediately cool you off. And maybe something like I, I can also imagine eating this with a like salad where you have something really green and not sweet to kind of balance out the the wine. It was saying with sushi and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't eat it with sushi. I think it's yeah, it's. I think it's too sweet for sushi. <laughs> so, our quest for a California rosé continues. Though we've had a couple of really good ones. Um, I think that if we tasted this one first, it would have been different. For all disclosure, um, I think I think we've talked about this before. We have very similar, Kevin and I have very similar tastes in red wines, 
and particularly when you're thinking rosé and you're hoping to taste those red wine notes in the wine, it's kind of discouraging when you can't. Um, and so I feel like the berry cream is really good for itself as something cool to drink, really refreshing, with very clear flavor. Uh, and even the sweetness doesn't really bother me. I think it would be fine as long as I was eating it with something that kind of matched it or paired it. But as a standalone wine, the... Oh, I don't even remember what it's called anymore. I just kept calling it the Provence France wine. <laughs> uh, is it the Omega? I'd have to look at the... Yeah, something like that. Uh, that definitely carries the weight of, a, of what I would look for in a red wine. Mm-hmm into the rosé. Yeah, I mean, definitely if I'm going to drink a rosé, it's going to be that. And right now Kevin's looking at the vino to see if he can find out a little bit more information about the varietals. Yes, yeah, so the Olema looks like it is a Grenache mm. and no info on the berry cream. Oh, okay. Um, so shall we do wine of the week? Great. You want to go first? You have a really impressive wine of the week, so maybe I will go first because <laughs> I am in between what I wanted to talk about. All right, so my wine of the week is called Daring Escape. It is a vineyard from California that Kevin acquired from First Leaf. Yeah, it's from First Leaf. And the wine that we tasted was called Lazy Breeze White. It's a 2019 wine. I don't know what the grape is, do you? I believe we looked it up um, trying to find out what it was, and it was a sort of just an unknown white blend. White blend. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I liked about it was I was definitely taken by the label. It's like this young like child sitting underneath something that looks like the giving tree with a like furled banner that is waving in the wind saying daring escape and it's just very whimsical and i enjoyed it in the moment and what i liked about the wine was it's maybe i'm showing a pattern my notes say sun-touched crisp white i really love wines where you can kind of taste the sunlight in it and particularly on hot days, having that little bit of, I associate sunlight with weight, having that weight in a white while still being refreshing and crisp and cooling, to me makes a wine really enjoyable. Um, and for the very warm, I think we had it on a Thursday or Friday when it was very warm in like the 90s and desert weather 90s, so just blowing hot wind, it was the perfect relaxing wine for the moment. So that was mm. my wine of the week. Yeah, I, I got that wine because I've had their Syrah before. And Daring Escape is a small little um, winery in, in Napa, I believe. And it's not a public winery. You can only get it through First Leaf, so it's all small batch kind of stuff. And they make this Syrah, it's called the Daring Escape Red, and I just absolutely love it. I think it's just fantastic. 
even though Vivino and the people out there don't always agree with that, but I think it's it's really, really spectacular. And so when I saw that their, their white blend was available, I just jumped on it and I'm really happy. I liked it as much as their Syrah. Um, obviously very, very different wines, but I thought it was so, so good. Um, I've actually been trying to track down that winemaker for a while. It's very elusive. So um, if you hear us. <laughs> if you're out there. Um, I've been sending lots of random emails to people trying to find out, mostly because we wanted to get more of the of the red after realizing how much we liked it. And um, it was out of stock. We didn't know if it was going to be made again. I guess they only release wines every three years. Oh, wow. Um, so it's really hard to track down their stuff when it's not available on First Leaf. Um, but yeah, great choice. And my wine of the week this week um, was... It's called, it's a French wine from Pont du Nord, and it's a Marcelon. Hmm. And I got it because I'd never had a Marcelon before, nor did I know what that was. Um, and uh, yeah, a Marcelon is apparently, it is a hybrid grape that is um, Grenache and Cab. Hmm. Hybrid grape. And it was first developed in the early 1970s and produced in France. And it's found in um, southern France, in, in Languedoc, so the area closest to um, Spanish Catalonia, California northern coast, because everything is grown here for some reason. Um, and interestingly enough, this was one of the most popular winemaking grapes in China. Really? Yeah. Why? I So there was some sort of agreement between the Chinese and French governments to basically create a wine producing region in China, mm -hmm. and I believe Northeast China, and this was for unknown reasons the grape that they chose even though it's super uncommon anywhere else in the world, but apparently um, the famous French wine estate Lafitte Rothschild owns a huge amount of Marcelon grapes or vineyards in China. Wow. Which is absolutely fascinating. Um, the wine itself was, was pretty good too. Um, it was pretty oaky, so pretty um, nutty and heavy, hmm. um, and just lots of extremely ripe fruit, so like super ripe plums and cherries and things like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, definitely if I find more, I'll, I'll keep trying them. but. Yeah, really, really cool. Really fun to try. I would never have guessed either just from the taste of that, what that cross hybrid was. Mm -hmm. um, you just wouldn't know, at least from this one that I tried, but it was really, really fun. And again, a project that we should do, which we kind of hinted at when we did the episode on the Australian Tempranillo, right? Mm -hmm. Was how do grapes grow in different regions across the world when they're very differently located? I wonder if both the French Catalonian border lands of vineyards is similar to wherever it's cultivated in China, geographically, or climate-wise. No I didn't even know there was much wine growing in China at all. It's also apparently not um, exported much, so I guess we'll just have to go to China for a uh a wine tasting expedition. So if anyone in China is listening to this and wants to bring us to China for wine tasting, 
Or just send us some our salons from China that works yeah, too. Yeah, probably. Preferably take us to China. Yeah, that's nice. Um, fascinating. Yeah, I actually know very little bit about it. So this is a great wine of the week to have. Thank you. That was nice. Now I want to go find it. I have no clue how to spell it, though. <laughs> Marcelon? Yeah, M-A-R-S-E-L-A-N, I believe. Oh, that's easy. And it's named after the French town nearby that Sweet. it was first, or the winemaker who first created it was from. Yeah. Nice. Uh, any final closing thoughts on rosé or winemaking processes, history? the weather <laughs> well just just I'm happy to talk about rosés I think we'll be doing a lot more in, in different aspects of different types of rosés and different grapes that are made into rosés and regions and things like that um, but just to highlight the the importance of not generalizing about styles or types or regions of wine based on what is the most readily like available information there's always more stuff out there and to make a statement about rosé, I think it is just a, a generalization to begin with. Um, you know, if you like wine, there's going to be rosés out there you're going to like. So don't. It's not all white zens. There's really cool stuff happening out there. So uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Well said. And I think this is also a great pairing with what we talked about last week with soil, in that there's so much effort and care and compassion and attention that goes into making wine and even seeing the differences in the two different rosés we made, there are stories there. Uh, different winemaking processes, different histories, and so I like that we took the time to kind of dig into what is a rosé? What goes into it? And like Kevin said, there's so much more to learn, so I'm looking forward to just... I don't know, what are we going to talk about next? I have no clue. It's going to be really cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, thanks for tuning in.